Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel. Excited to be here with our guest and Alexa Hutchinson, VP of Business Development and Head of Consulting at Elevate Sports Ventures. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Alexa's career path into the industry, a little bit about consulting and what kind of that, what perspectives those bring um, coming from both the team side and then operating within multiple spaces. So Alexa, really excited to talk this morning and welcome. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. So you you were a UW grad, um, Pac-12, and then you went to work for a rival in the Pac-12? <laughs> yeah, somewhat a rival. Yeah. I mean, I came down to the Valley of the Sun, you know, it's not a tough sell. <laughs> <laughs> coming, from, coming from Seattle, I'm sure you enjoyed your sunshine, to, to say the least, um, to start out. Talk a little bit about what that experience for you starting out in your career kind of did. What did it open your eyes to? Um, and then ultimately, what did that do for you getting into kind of your next couple of roles in the industry? So I was an intern at IMG up at Washington, and I got involved with the athletic department, which turned into knowing what IMG actually was because they're relatively behind the scenes, right? Especially to a student or an intern. And I moved down to Arizona to work on the partnership services side so it was really handling 140 accounts. I think it was about seven and a half million and I was on my own. So it taught me resourcefulness and grit, I would say just on the onset. But I remember I came down to Arizona, well, moving, taking a step back after I graduated, I bought a one-way ticket to Costa Rica for a surfing and Spanish program. And I told IMG, Hey, I'm interested in a job. I'll keep keep on it, but I needed a break. Right. So I got a call for an interview when I was down there and the government, I forget exactly what it is, but the government essentially owns the internet. And so it comes on and off occasionally. And I was so nervous for the video interview. All I had brought was, I think like a black t-shirt was my nicest thing, you know? So taking the video like as high up as I could to not show that I didn't have, you know, a collared shirt on. But anyway, interview went well, ended up moving pretty quickly. And August was my move date. And the first football game was within like 10 days. So I remember my boss putting the 140 contracts on my desk saying, Hey, you got two weeks, make sure all this is fulfilled. So it's really organization. Number one, obviously asking a bunch of questions. <laughs> number two, trying to learn, learn from my peers in the industry, because this was a new position within IMG. IMG used to be on the sponsorship side, all sellers and the sellers used to activate their own deals. And as you can imagine, they're not spending as much time selling because they're also activating around, let's call it July, August, September, you know, through football season and even the start of basketball season. So I got everything organized and started to hire. I think I hired like 10 interns just to help on game day and with some of the, the easy transactional stuff. And, um, it just also taught me how to be, how to learn kind of on the fly, you know, and make sure you don't make the same mistakes twice. So I remember asking a bunch of questions and then I remember kind of getting to work and I remember making a bunch of mistakes, but then I remember fixing all of those as quickly as possible. And that first season was actually really successful. I mean, it was really quick, but it was really successful. 
Well, I want to go back to that mistakes point because it's okay to make mistakes, right? It's okay mm-hmm. to understand that those mistakes will eventually teach you something that you can't foresee being super beneficial, right? In the future, what's maybe one thing you've learned from some of the mistakes that you've made along the way that has helped you um, in your career? Gosh, it's a good question. I think a lot of people are afraid to make mistakes because they have this fear of not being perfect. And I think that fear keeps us from moving on to the next step. So I'll give an example. I was on the service side of the business for a year and a half, maybe two. And one of the sellers left and my boss came to me saying, Hey, this is your slot. I know you told me you wanted to sell. And I instantly froze. (laughs) I'm like, too soon, right? I mean, a year and a half in the industry, major property. I had, you know, IMG at the end of the day, you have a number to hit. If you don't hit it, you know, you could be on the chopping block, right? I mean, not necessarily in one year, but it's, it's a little more cutthroat. So I was super nervous and kind of hesitated. My boss said, well, if you don't take it, Adam will, who was my colleague and we're really good friends. And I was like, all right, I'm taking it. (laughs) I'm in. So, you know, I think it's like, I didn't totally answer your question perfectly, but I really think it's kind of putting yourself out there as much as possible, having enough mentors and friends in the industry that you can bounce ideas off of behind the scenes. So if you don't feel totally comfortable with something, you know, you ask around and you start to kind of craft your story and you start to put as much intel as you can together behind the scenes. So then when you're in front of a client or you do take that big position, you are as ready to go as you can. And I know that I always said my kind of, I don't want to call it an it factor, but I always prided myself in over-preparing. So I would never walk into a meeting without having looked at someone's LinkedIn, without having read about their business, without having a few questions written down that I was ready to ask. So I think that's always important. And it always shocks me how many times, whether someone comes in for an interview or they come into a meeting and they're asking you really elementary questions. And it's like, gosh, did you not do anything (laughs) to prepare for this? So that's, that's kind of my edge. Yeah, no, it's interesting. You talked about being able to reach out to the mentors and gather all that intel and something be interesting to get your thoughts on because the mentors are not going to make the decisions for you, right? Mm -hmm. No one will ever make a decision for you and say, this is what you have to do. Um, Ultimately, they're going to give you the intel, the advice, the insight, uh, maybe some suggestions, but at the end of the day, whatever decisions you make are your decisions and you then run with them. Um, walk me through the decision-making process and like how you gather the intel, then what do you do with it? And, and um, how do you then follow back up with those people that you've talked to, to kind of let them know about, Hey, this is a, this is a decision I'm making. Here's why. And so on. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. I, I am a firm believer in doing as much as you can on your own before approaching a boss or a client. So my first boss, Mike Kohler told me, always come to your bosses with a solution, not a problem, right? So if I, and and whether it's a boss or a client or, you know, insert person or company here, right? If I come and say, hey, uh, we just can't get this deal done because the objection was price, 
period. That doesn't help you. That doesn't help anyone, right? But if I come and say, hey, the objection was price. And this is actually a real example from this weekend on a deal that I am working to finalize. And we got a verbal agreement and I won't say who yet. It's a major university and we will likely be doing some sort of research and consultation for them around a new renovation. And and I'm just going to use round numbers here. These are not the real prices, but let's say that we came in at 200,000 and they came back and said, Hey, we can only spend a hundred. And our, my boss has said, ah, I think we can come down to 175. And the client says, well, I think I might be able to come up to 150. So that is still a $25,000 Delta, right? So I have to bridge that gap to get this deal done. So I figure out that there are other partners, and I know I'm speaking really vaguely here, but there are other agencies and partners involved in this deal. So I reached out to two of them and said, hey, in, you know, in good faith, showing great partnership, are you willing to chip in $25,000 to make us whole, even though we did come down? So each side has collaborated and have give, has given a bit, but can we, can we make it happen? And the agency stepped up and said, yeah, we'll pay the $25,000 Delta. So that at the end of the day, right, is an example of understanding what the client needs and understanding what the true thresholds are and then understanding our threshold. And then, and then the final step, figuring out how to make it work. <laughs> Sometimes you have to walk away. Sometimes it's too much, right? Because you can't devalue your product, but other times you can get creative. Sure. And that, that goes hand in hand. You know, you can take that example and throw it into the career space too, right? Yeah. And from a job perspective, some people walk away from some, some people um, don't even entertain others, right? Like there's, it's kind of across the board. You can make those similarities. So I appreciate you sharing that, but I think that the interesting part about kind of just even listening to you talk through that is, again, understanding all the different perspectives and the lenses that you have to understand other people's shoes, right? And I think that kind of gets us into the consulting world, right? Of like, how do you put yourself in someone else's shoes when you maybe even ever been there, right? And uh, I think that happens a lot of times, regardless of what part of the business you're in is you've never been in someone else's shoes. Mm -hmm. But you have to still try and figure out how to be in their shoes so you can understand a little bit of their perspective, where they're coming from. How do you do that? You ask good questions. <laughs> I think I think we always talk too much in general. And I'm a big advocate in really taking a step back and asking, I mean, doing as much research as you can up front, right? So one of our, hopefully, knock on wood, new clients is an NWSL team. And you're right, I've never worked for an NWSL program or organization. So if we can do as much research up front, ask them, hey, where are you at now? Where do you need to be? Who are your peers? Who are your aspirational peers? And then we interview those people. If they say, hey, our aspirational peer is Angel City, which it should be because they've crushed it. I'm calling the president of Angel City and saying, hey, how'd you do it? And I know her, but I think as, as many questions that we can get answered on the front end and as many questions as we can ask on the front end about vision, about priorities, that's how a partnership is kicked off effectively. And then you spend time with them in person, right? You walk the facilities, um, you walk like venues, and then you bring in best practices, resources, and trends. So the third step is really usually doing some sort of research, asking fans, hey, if 
this team is building a new stadium or if this team is launching a new brand, what do you see? What do you like? What do you not like? What do you want from your experience? And then we take in comps and trends. So I'll give you a couple trends. If this NWSL team wants to build a new stadium, and this is all hypothetical, right? Then we come in and we do that research. And then part of it is economies of scope and scale. We've worked a lot on new stadium projects. So we know that if a stadium is building new premium areas, we know that people aren't buying 30 person capacity suites regularly. I'm not saying they're not being sold. I'm just saying it's a struggle to purchase at this point in large volumes. So we're not advising to build new major suites. We're advising to build mini suites, to build loges, to when we look at premium areas, try and segment and hyper-customize these areas. So you have a premium light area, a premium heavy area. Some include food and beverage, some might not. Some have different drink types. Some include parking, some might not. I mean, just trying to really look at what the consumer wants and then matching that to trends that we're seeing in order to advise clients. So I know that was a lot of information, but it's kind of that's like what four-step process. Yeah, I mean, it's ultimately you're trying to predict some of the trends too in the future of yeah. what fans will want too, because you don't want, last thing you want to do is build something for the now and not consider the future. And then all of a sudden you need to adapt, you know, five or seven years later, even though you're going to do that anyways, but what is the scope and scale of your adjustments? Right. Um, you know, when you think about the consulting world, I, I think about what Andy talks a lot about on, you know, a lot of our recent episodes is, is the trust factor, right. And building trust amongst people and clients how do you go about that trust process? Because again, that your clients in the consulting world are ultimately trusting you to learn about their business, have insight into their business, and then help them make decisions at the end of the day. I think it's authenticity. I think it's being exactly who you are, you know, and putting your cards on the table. And I completely agree with Andy. Andy and I know each other well. I think he's fantastic. And the trust factor is there because at the end of the day, you do business with people not products, not things, not companies, you do business with people. So I actually was talking to a friend at the PAC 12 the other day and he, he made a statement like, Hey, I'm only going to work with good people from now on, you know, life's too short. And there's either there's relationships that they just click and they're really successful. And you have the higher ups, you have the day-to-day, -day, you have multiple people involved within the organization, like our partnership with the Seattle Sounders. Adrian Hanauer, the owner, is at the table all the time. He's on most of our calls. He's super invested. President is super invested. CMO is super invested, the head of marketing, head of ticketing. So those make great partnerships. And it really is about the people. And then it's about, you know, the tools and resources that those people have, right? Because if my company says, hey, Alexa, we want you to be the best consultant, business development person out there. But if they don't give me any resources to do that, that makes my job a lot harder, right? And when I'm talking about resources, I'm talking about a big business intelligence team that's really smart and willing to, you know, chip in and do the work that they need to do. Super impressive people. Um, it's, you know, subscribing to different databases that we can tap into to help our clients. So it's the people and then it's the tools, right? Well, and, and then it's knowing how to use the tools to your best of your ability, right? And, and to your advantage. Um, it's a crowded world, right? In that sense of consulting. Mm -hmm. And 
um, you know, trying to separate yourself probably isn't the easiest, um, yeah. even though, again, to your point, right, it's it's the people factor and, and you are the separator in your case of when you go and talk to a client. But how do you go about separating yourself, not only in what you do on the consulting side, but even just as a person in the industry, right, and trying to kind of blaze your own trail? Yeah. So I'll answer the, the company's kind of separation, customization, how we pitch ourselves, what I think makes us different. Number one is that we're not all things to all people, right? So we're really a sales and marketing consultancy. We have a design company. We have a secondary ticket broker company, dynamic pricing partners, but it's all really under the umbrella of helping properties make more money. And it's really within that sales and marketing piece. So I think having kind of that hyper-focus, granted, that's a big, that's a big chunk of the business, right? I'm not saying we're just, you know, in this like form formulating one streamlined fashion, but I do think um, we're not all things to all, all clients. And I think we're, or I don't think I know that we're really good within that vertical because we've really focused on it. And that's within hospitality is really where business began. The other piece is our equity partners. They help, they're involved, they're amazing. Oakview Group, Ticketmaster, Live Nation, the 49ers, and Harris Blitzer. If I, one example, a few weeks ago needed to understand how teams upcharge just ticket tax as well as fees uh, per account or per customer, and Harris Blitzer was right there. Hey, this is what we do at our two properties. I talked to multiple people on their team. They walked me through their process. So to have, and granted, we can do that with many teams, but to have that type of intelligence just in your backyard that you can simply call and they're willing to talk at any time, that's huge. Um, and then myself, like, I know I already said this, but I really mean it. I think the authenticity piece is really important. I really think it's important to be yourself and build your brand. And that's one thing that I've been working to focus on. And just like you, Jake, right? You have this podcast. This is the brand. This is, you know, part of you exploring one of your passions and sharing it with others. And it's awesome. So I think with me, and I'm actually working on this right now, I started a blog a while ago. I do love to write. I haven't written in it or haven't published anything in gosh, probably six months. So I need to get back into it, but I think figuring out what you enjoy doing, whether it's interviewing or whether it's writing or, you know, whether it's broadcast, whatever it is, right. And kind of, I think doing some of those passions on the side is really important outside of your own job, because a, you meet new people, B, you learn new things. C, you're not spending much time outside. I mean, it's seven 30 to eight o'clock in the morning, right? It's not like it's not like you're cutting an hour out of your day. So I think it's important to explore kind of those ulterior passions within the industry. So you're still adding to your overall brand. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, I can even speak to the podcast front. Like what I've learned is you, you talked about asking good questions, right? And like earlier, I think that's something that even in the sales world is just as equally important, if not more in yeah in just the aspect of getting to know people, right? Like asking interesting questions so you can separate yourself from someone else. Um, because as you learn and you're talking to different brands and so like you're, they're having these conversations with 70 other people too, right? So how do you, how does your conversation differentiate itself? And, and again, like it's that intent listening and understanding 
certain perspectives, we talked about kind of trying to put yourself in their shoes, right? Of like, hey, we're, you know, hopefully knock on wood here, like coming towards the pandemic, going into endemic, right? And like, there was a lot that happened in the last 18 to 24 months, right? And so how do you understand what that person went through too, right? Yeah. And, and again, asking those and without crossing the line by any stretch, but like, how do you understand some of those perspectives without, they're, they're not just going to tell you, right? Just because they feel like telling you, right? So it's, again, using some of those things on the side, like you mentioned, to try and kind of develop different skills. And um, to your point, writing, like, you know, uh, you met with, with one of my former uh, bosses, Alex, like she and I had talked about uh, a while ago, um, you know, about writing and how important that is as an executive, right? And, and it's kind of this lost art a little bit, right? Of, hey, like if you send this email and it's, you know, two, three, four paragraphs long, like no one's going to read it, right? So how do you be really, really concise and what you're talking about and getting your point across? And again, you might be writing a blog, uh, but inherently you're sharpening your writing skills so that you can then use it in the future as well. Um, any thoughts on that? I think short, sweet, concise to executives or people you're trying to sell to is the absolute golden ticket. It's like, how do you try and get across the full scope and the value of your work and your opportunity in three to four sentences, you know? Um, and I think on the sales side too, I feel like it's not, it's about not giving up also. I have this quote and I'm not even going to try and, um, tell you what it says, but it's basically the, it speaks to the volume of follow-up that you have to do in order to get deals done. So I think it's not only, you know, in the beginning describing what you do, but then even just going through the entire sales process, like, unless you've been in sales, you wouldn't get it, but it's a grind, right? And, and that's why it's important to sharpen those skills along the way. That's why it's important to ask good questions. That's why it's important to once you get the meeting, respecting people's time and closing on time or starting on time, you know, whatever that looks like, or if you need more time, you ask for more time. It's just, I think it's just about kind of executing it every phase, you know, hundred percent. And, uh, at the end of the day, you try and get better each time. Right. And, and learn, you know, even more. So, um, mm -hmm. if you could, if you could part our listeners with one, one, you know, I would say word of wisdom, but, but, uh, something that, that you've kind of kept near and dear as you've kind of gone about your journey, right? In general, um, piece of advice, if someone's listening to this and they were, they're in a partnership services role, right? And, and they're trying to figure out their next step. Uh, what would you say? This one's so cliche, but I do feel like it's the most important is the fact that it's all about relationships, right? And, and making sure that you stand out from the pack. I still write thank you letters. I, whenever I host a dinner or a happy hour, there's something different to it. You know, whether we play a game or ask funny questions, I mean, it's about critically thinking about if you're hosting something, what is the purpose? Or if you have a meeting, what is the purpose? You know, so I'll say those two things. The second one being kind of always having a purpose in everything that you do. And actually I'll say one more. <laughs> I think I really don't think there's a cap on our industry in any way. So I think if you 
want to meet with someone or you want to have an informational interview or you aspirationally want to be the president of the coyotes you can get there you know it's just about kind of jockeying in the right areas and talking to the right people and i just don't think the networks can be big enough but it goes back to quality over quantity too and making sure their material connections and great relationships and that's one thing i learned from my colleague uh, chris alfen he has really deep relationships maybe not as many as you know another executive industry but when he calls people answer. And I think that's really important too, right? Not just surface level, but really the people that you do relate with and the people that, you know, have your back and that, that you enjoy spending time with, making sure that, that those people come first too, whether it's helping or asking, right? 100%. Yeah. It's, and it's, you're able to then look back 10 years later and go, wow, like we met 10 years ago and all, yeah. you know, We've been able to lean on each other for X, Y, and Z. So I think just super important to understand that you don't know how someone can help you. And it might be 20 years down the road. You don't know. Um, but it's just having that genuine authenticity that you were talking about. So Alexa, really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel. Uh, until next time. Absolutely. Thank you so much.